Ladies and gentlemen, this is According to Callus. This is episode 184, and we're going to call it Move On Monday. What do I mean? Whatever could you be talking about, Mr. Callus? Well, it's this. Perhaps you must be prepared to move on. When we're confronted with a choice of good versus bad, you know, good versus evil, Ostensibly, we would like to believe we're going to choose good. We're going to take the path that leads to righteousness. Though that is exactly the opposite of what is taught, that uh, apart from God, we all fail. Even if it's just a little bit, we fail. The irony is that Most of us think that we actually are doing the right thing. We are going the right way without actually checking our sources, without making sure that we are. Now, the ones that are most confident that they are right are the ones that you must pay attention to, for they could be leading you down that very path of destruction. Now, some are easy to spot, Um, and, and I'm just going to say it. Somebody like Joel Olstein comes to mind. The guy has a silver tongue and apparently a silver spoon lifestyle. That's not to say that he doesn't do certain things and take care of certain things. And maybe you could argue that he's earned the life that he has. And it's probably, if you were to look at it, correlated with what he actually preaches. The problem is, I don't think he's actually preaching the same Bible that I read, or at least the same understanding. And at some point, we're going to both be before the creator, standing in front of that white throne, and uh, he's going to call it out. Now, I don't know the man's heart. So we'll go for the sake of uh, piety here that his name is in the Lamb's book of life. And when he goes to be judged, I wonder which one of us is going to hear well done, good and faithful servant. I don't feel that confident that I'm going to, though I strive towards it every day. But I suspect that he probably thinks that he will hear that based upon something that he has done. But again, I'm guessing. I don't know that I want to push that on him, but he's just an obvious and easy person. Let's bring it a little closer to home. We have a lot of people that we know in society or in our lives who... Some come off as know-it-all. Some come off as uh, holier-than-thou. Some come off as arrogant jerks. Some come off as an amalgam of all the above. And honestly, I have my own opinions on where I might be in that strata of uh, negative uh, thought processes there. And I'm sure if I were to talk to any number of people, I would get a bunch of different answers. But I also wonder... If you were to talk to uh, 
objective people if they would have similar answers on different people. So let's pause on that for just a second. So the idea is, is we have to be objective. We need to not be subjective in our judgments, though everybody has a subjective nature when they're making a judgment. So if we're looking at things strictly from a good versus evil or good versus bad, it's a rather black and white world. And it's helpful. It's useful. And it generally works to where things are easier to understand. But when you're dealing with people and we're all fallen, is it maybe more appropriate to use a different metric? Go with me here for just a second. A metric of good versus good enough, perhaps. Now, obviously, you don't want bad. Obviously, you don't want evil. But if you look at everything that doesn't quite measure up as being evil or bad, you're kind of painting yourself into a corner. Now, I know an elected official or two. I interact with a good number of them. I would probably only refer to two or three of them as friends. And it's not that hard to figure out who those people are, but I don't bring them up out of respect for them. They're their own person, and I don't wish to impugn them by their friendship with me or vice versa. I guess take that how you want. But the idea is, particularly in the political world that we live in, and everything is politicized. Everything. I mean, for instance, we have a a legitimate known problem in the town I live in, whereupon that because there's a generous and rather wealthy society that lives in Collin County, we tend to look after the least of these. Do we do a great job at it? No. But we tolerate and encourage um, behaviors that are not necessarily ideal because we reward people for doing them. And more people move in to take advantage of that. So it becomes a problem. And you have certain segments of the society that feel that homeless or poor, or however you want to phrase it, should be treated like cockroaches. Then we have other certain segments of society. They want to treat them like saints. They equate them with Jesus because Jesus was homeless and he begged. And again, really bad theology. We're, We're going to touch on that a little bit later, but just for the purposes of this discussion. So at some point, you're going to come to the conflict that you have this degree of agreeability whereupon you're on the same page but not in the same paragraph whereupon that you're within the same book but in a different chapter and what does that mean what does that i mean where do you delineate when you go from good enough to bad or good enough to evil now the old uh Reagan adage was 80%. Uh, most of my life, I've lived by 70%, right? If I if I can agree with somebody on 70% of stuff, yeah, okay, fine. Now, of course, we all have the a deal breaker, right? If somebody um, is not pro-life, 
I can't support them as a candidate. That doesn't mean I'm not their friend. It doesn't mean that I wouldn't acknowledge their existence. It's not that I want to see them crushed under the heel of tyranny or anything like that. It's more of a, I don't think that you would be the person I would want to lead my community because you don't recognize life and what it is. But that same person might look at it as, well, you have an unrealistic idea of what it means to have life. So again, you have you have to go back to the idea of being objective. Can you objectively look at your position versus the other person and say, I understand their argument. I understand their point of view. I just don't agree with it. But you know what? That person's still a person. That person's still worthy of my respect. Right? So th- th- there's there's the line of good enough. Now, in politics, that means that a lot of times you have to put up with somebody that only gives you three quarters of what you want. And you may go all in to get somebody that's going to give you 85 or 90% of what you want. But in the course of doing so, you've destroyed every relationship that you had along the way. In the course of doing so, you've alienated people that would otherwise be your friends or your allies because you were solely purposed on getting the one thing that you wanted. That's a danger. Now, are there ways that we can improve our lot? Yes. Are there ways that we should look to improve our lot? Absolutely. What I'm suggesting to you is sometimes you have to settle for good enough. And that's a challenge. Few people in my life are as idealistic as I am. But my idealism is tempered by reality. The reality is, is the world is not the way I would like it. The, wor- the reality is, is the world is never going to be the way I would like it. Therefore, I have to learn to operate in the r- world that it is today and accept the reality as it is and adapt. Always pushing my message, always pushing my concerns, always seeking to increase liberty. But in doing so, I have to be very careful to not alienate the people that would generally agree with me. Now, here's the here's the rub. I'm a big fan of Tom Woods. And Tom Woods has spent more than one occasion um, referring to the idea that he has reached out to people left of center. He, have, he has looked to work with people that are on the left. If you take the general left-right spectrum, it's a you know the cheap notes, if you will, and tried to work on them with issues. He said the challenges is that are so off-put on the other issues that they re- refuse to set them aside to work on these things or the specific thing that they agree on and they want the same outcome. And that's his challenge, right? He, he, he has a real difficult time being able to pull that off. And that's my interpretation of what he said. I mean, he is a little more eloquent on how he lays it out and certainly a little more deferential. But he's gotten to the point where he just has kind of given up. Now, he's admitted that there are friends and allies and associates that he's met over the years of trying to do this that are good, reasonable people and that he enjoys working with. But by and large, because he came from a center-right background, because he was your average neocon 40 years ago or 30 years ago or whatever time frame we want to look at here, 
keep in mind, the guy's only like 50 years old like me, so it's probably not 40 years ago. But just go with me for a second here. So he came from a background, so he speaks that language. He understands those people. And it's easier to relate and communicate to those people. And he has found, let's call it fertile ground for conversation, for growth. I feel the same way. I mean, I I came from a very much a right wing, a Christian uh, upbringing. Um, Not like they were, you know, the hyperbolic uh, craziness that you see on all the movies and TVs, but just, you know, your average right of center devout Christian people. That's, that's where I've come out of. That was my life. The devout Christianity has stayed with me. The right wing stuff is ebbed and flowed. And I, I gotta say, I, I put in time and effort to try and understand where people to the left of me, the progressive side of me, I try and understand where they're coming from. And I, and there's a few people that I would call acquaintances of mine that I take the time and effort to communicate with. And I, I try and put my hand out as a offering of friendship, as an offering of fellowship, as an offering of, we can work together on this issue or that issue. It's frustrating because I haven't been really successful, but, but I continue to do it because I believe that people that are to the left of me, progressive, even maybe even socialistic, if you will, in, in their upgrading, in their background, they see a problem. And honestly, most of the time I see the same problem or a similar problem. They come to a conclusion that is driven by their worldview, by their background. And their conclusions generally been tried with not good results. Generally has a poor outcome. And when I communicate with them, I'm like, look, we agree that this is an issue, whatever the issue is, whether it's the homeless that I mentioned earlier, whether it's um, lack of educational success, whether it's um, income inequality, right? There's a good one. Everybody loves that one. When you, when you talk about these issues, we both see that there's an issue there. Now, the degree of which we see it's a problem may vary slightly, but we can agree that there's an issue there. And typically, somebody that's progressive or left of center approaches us by, hey, how is government going to fix this? How can I get an organization that is bigger than I to come in and do this? Now, the knee-jerk reaction from people right of center uh, is typically, well, government shouldn't do that. Well, you're right. That's a given. But they're right in that these issues or these problems are generally too big for an individual to deal with. So I don't know what do most of us belong to that might be able to step in. Well, I would say that particularly in this part of the country, a church, right? And I've talked about this from time to time. This is the church's job, the opportunity to look after the least of these, to assist with these things, to provide things willingly. And allow people to give willingly to help these people. Now, some churches do a better job than others. I'm not here to critique my church my church, or another church 
per se. I'm here to say that we could do a better job. Then the churches have actually stepped back and said, well, wait a minute. If we continue to do the same things that we've been doing, are we maybe perpetuating the problem? So my my church, and I'm going to use this as a reference because I went through it about two years ago, they found this book called Helping Without Hurting. And they looked at some of the things that they've been doing and have they been enabling it? Have they been making the matters worse by rewarding the bad behavior? In other words, doing the very same thing that government does, they see a problem, they throw money at it thinking they're fixing it, all the while they're only perpetuating and growing the problem. So the churches followed a similar model and got the same kind of result. So how do we go about fixing that? Well, therein lies the rub. You have to have those discussions. You have to talk about what is it we're looking to actually accomplish? What has been tried before and how were the results meted out, right? What, what did what were the end goals and what was the end determination? Did we actually reduce these things? Did we actually change the uh, outcome? And I got to say, I don't have all those answers. I would make a safe bet that we probably didn't. Because if you're doing the same thing that you know doesn't work, you're going to get the same basic result. So this ties directly into the idea of massive, or not massive, uh, mass group rights versus individual rights. Now, I've talked from time to time, one of the purposes of government is to protect and defend individual rights. Much like when you go to a meeting, they utilize Robert's rules. It's to protect the minority rights. That means the minority of the people present. But the smallest minority is the individual. So each individual should have an opportunity to speak their mind or at least feel as if they've been heard, ideally. But when you put limitations on that, because of time constraints, you have to be a little more creative. You have to work together. You have to find a way to be heard. Now, the challenge is, in today's day and age especially, is you have an echo chamber on both sides of the aisle. And indeed, you have people that try and pretend they're above that. They they try and play to one group while they're dismissing another group. They're ignoring their opposition to placate certain groups of people. And we're all guilty of it to some extent or another, right? Nobody's special here. There's, there's, there's not a free pass for anybody. But the, but the big problem is if 5% of the people think something, it's really easy to dismiss them. If 3% of the people believe something or want something, it's even easier to dismiss them. But what happens when that number turns into 35 or 40%? It's not quite a majority, but the problem is, is they may actively look to erode your majority. They may actually work to cause problems. We've seen this play out in uh, several European countries and uh, to a lesser extent here in the States. We're upon that 30 to 40% of people, they get tired of playing by the rules. They tend to bend the rules. They 
do what they need to do because they have the plurality of which to do it with. And they bring down the power of government upon them and actually encourage their people because of it. It's a really sick cycle, right? We want more government, so we misbehave, so the government increases, so that we get the more government that we wanted. It's a sick cycle. It really is. So when you look to defend individual rights, when you look to stand for those people that are mischaracterized, cast aside, it puts you on the receiving end of some uh, rhetoric that can be unpleasant at times. (laughs) The idea is that even though I don't agree with this person or this issue, I'm going to show them the appropriate respect that they deserve, which is to be heard. I'm going to give them the opportunity to feel like they are participating. Some people struggle with that particularly a lot of people that have a title after their name or before their name. And that's a challenge, right? Because if there isn't mutual respect, society gets broken. And I, for one, like society. I like the idea that, you know, if I go down the street, it's relatively safe. I don't have to worry about somebody coming and holding me up or putting a knife in my back, wanting to take my wallet. And and yeah, I know, I know, look, there's Rambos out there. You all are Billy bad boys and you can handle yourselves and you're not worried about any of that. That's fine. But if you have a daughter or a young son, they're not you. They're not able to do that. Society is dependent upon people understanding the rules and playing by them and knowing that if they break the rules, if they step outside of the societal rules, if you will, that there'll be a penalty. Now we've watched this happen In real time, down in Dallas County, they decided that if you're stealing and it's not more than $750, well, we're not going to worry about it. We're just not, you know, it's not worth our effort. Hmm. What do you think happened? I wonder, has that been a good thing or a bad thing? Draw your own conclusions. Likewise, when you tell somebody that, oh, well, uh, you're not able to protect yourself, You're not able to defend your property. Um, Do you think that's a good thing or a bad thing? Again, draw your own conclusions here. It seems very simple. And I'm not suggesting that I would be supportive of a world where people are wandering around carrying um, grade launchers on their back. I don't think anybody really objectively wants that. But the idea that somebody down the street has a grenade launcher doesn't bother me at all. It doesn't keep me awake at night. What does keep me awake at night is the possibility that at some point in the future, I might have five or 10 members of a SWAT team show up at my house, bust down the door and I don't know, kill my dog, uh, throw my wife out on the ground and arrest me for something that I've said. Does it keep me up at night? No, but it is kind of a concern in the back of my head because we have seen this play out. And if you doubt me, just look up the people that are still held in solitary confinement without habeas corpus for trespassing a little over a year ago. 
Now, you don't have to like those people. You don't have to support what those people did. In fact, if you're like our mayor, you may want to just blame them and say they got what they deserved because they're a bunch of radicals. But I would suggest to you the vast majority of the people that were, you know, 13 months ago in D.C. weren't looking to cause trouble. Even the people that were quote unquote troublemakers really didn't do anything to justify that kind of treatment. And the people that actually precipitated the problem, not participated, but precipitated, pushed it forward, caused it, brought it about, and they got a free pass. They're off wandering around. How do we know this? Oh, because you can see it with your own eyes. But don't believe your own eyes. Now, I wish I could tell you that everything's going to be all right. That the world's going to go back to normal and Trump's going to ride in in his white horse and save us all. But that's not the way the world works. And I'm really certain that that's not what I want anyway. I want the respect and the protection of individual rights. Sometimes that means I have to protect an individual I don't agree with or an idea that I find abhorrent. Under the guise of that goes for me too. The problem is, is the other side doesn't respect that. But if we on our side of the aisle aren't willing to have a little grace, extend protection, then we're no better than they are. And I don't know about you, but I would like to have the moral high ground. I would like to be in the right. I would like to be able to say, yes, you're wrong but we're still going to let you do your thing until you cross this line. I think that's a very reasonable way to look at things. The idea is what's left, right? What is left? Well, again, this goes right back to the idea of move on. The reason why I say move on is look, a little over two weeks, there's going to be another election. It's a primary And I have every expectation that a lot of those primaries are not going to go in a way which I would be happy about. I don't think the people that are going to win the primaries are going to be interested in individual rights. I don't think they're going to be into, they're going to be concerned about private property. I don't think they're really going to be concerned about protecting Texas. I I mean, I could be wrong, but I just think the majority of, what's going to happen is not going to be favorable to that. So because that's the case, because that's the world we live in and that's the reality I've accepted, I refuse to get all vested in this. I refuse to subordinate the rest of my life to this. Now, don't get me wrong. I enjoy politics. I I enjoy having the discussion. I, I like being engaged and I will continue to do so, but I'm not going to reroute my entire life and everything I do on the vague hope that this preferred candidate's going to win. And I'm happy to support some with my time, some with an endorsement, some with money, some with block walking. That's all well and good. But at the end of the day, Even if you get the absolute best perfect candidate, 
Does that really mean they're going to be what you wanted? Let me give you a brief example. And I mean no disrespect directly to uh, Congressman Taylor, uh, though I will probably vote for one of his opponents. I am also equally aware he is likely to win and he will likely go back to D.C. Well, actually, I guess he never really left D.C. He will likely stay in D.C. and he will likely still do what he does. And I have to ask myself, is he good enough? Will he defend individual rights? Will he defend private property rights? Is he going to do what's best for Texas? Honestly, I don't think that he will. Not all the time. Is it 75%? Maybe. Maybe. I I, I don't know. But if I'm going to invest in my life, hours and hours and um, oodles of money to try and boot a guy that it's a long shot at best. Am I really being smart with my time, my energy? I, I, I don't think so. Not for me personally. Somebody else might come to a different conclusion. Somebody else might disagree. In fact, I know there's four individuals that right now would vehemently disagree with me. And respectfully, I appreciate the fact they're willing to do that. And I'm going to go vote for one of them. Of this, I am certain. But I'm almost equally certain that after all the time, money, and effort, best case scenario, they get a runoff. Which one of the four gets to face Congressman Taylor? I'm not certain what the outcome of that's going to be. But again, I'm a practical guy. I can be as idealistic as I want to, but I do realize that the world is not the way I want it. It's not the way that I would desire it. I don't have to like it, but I accept it. But what can I do? And this is really where we're going. What is left? What is left to be done, right? We got to move on. Once the election's done and over with, there's nothing more you're going to be able to do about that election. But what can you do is what should be driving you going forward. What you can do is improve your own life. What you can do is better educate your children and your grandchildren. What you can do is develop better relationships with your neighbors and your existing friends. What you can do is be more involved in your church. What you can do is get more involved in the local, not politics, but local organizations, right? Whether it's um, like a Lions Club or I, I can't even think of any of the, the Rotary Club. Or, or even a chamber of commerce. You can get involved there. Now, when you go there, you might have to put your politics up on a shelf for a minute. You might have to accept that, well, I'm really in a small minority of this group of people. They're, they're really not concerned about the issues that I'm concerned about, but they are concerned about people. They are concerned about this or that, whatever it might be. And I find that valuable and interesting. So I'm going to go there and set aside this my political concerns, and work on these. These are practical concerns. What you can do is make a better and bigger impact in your direct society around you. Now you think to yourself, why is it we got stuck with some people that we really don't like? It's because they do this. They put in the time. Now, I can tell you with very little reserve that most of them are very disingenuous. Most of them are there for self-serving reasons. 
But does somebody else benefit from that? Yeah, in most cases they do. But do other businesses and other organizations benefit from their involvement? Yes, absolutely. So sometimes you have to accept people that are there for the wrong reasons, but are doing a good thing. And that's frustrating. Oh, I don't like that. It's icky. But again, the greater good. The greater good sometimes has to trump your personal desires. Now, one of the candidates um, in a debate that I was moderating here about a month or so ago pointed out that there are countless, he didn't say countless, I'm going to say countless, city and county commissions and organizations that you can be involved in. And he asked the question, how many of you are involved? Now, not a whole lot of people put their hand up. Now, all these people are involved in conservative or Republican clubs, and that's great. That's good. Ideally, they're educating themselves. Ideally, they're they're getting something more out of it, a better understanding of things, though I'm not sure that's always the case. But while I agree with the sentiment, mean you all need to be more involved in this other stuff. You all need to focus less on conservative Republicans club stuff and more on uh, city and county organizations and commissions. There's nothing wrong with that. He's right. But I also feel is entirely disingenuous about it. And the fact the matter remains is if you are right a center or you're not on good terms, you're probably not going to be appointed on any city function, any city commission or organization that the city sponsors. Okay, that's fine. I I don't like it. I mean, I don't I don't like that that the mayor would disregard what a good number of people in his city think because he doesn't agree with them. And maybe I'm not being fair, but just I mean, that's the argument, right? Okay. But that doesn't excuse at the county level. I mean, the entire county's ran by Republicans, people that are right of center. And if that's you, why aren't you serving there? Why don't you call up your county commissioner and say, you know, I'm really interested in this. How could I serve on this? Okay, fine. You don't want to serve at the county level. You don't want to serve at the city level. I accept that. What about a regional commission? What about any number of charity organizations that are out there, whether it's um, Salvation Army, Red Cross? I mean, look, I'm not huge fans of either of those groups right now, but they do work. I mean, they do do organizations or better yet. How about uh, Texas right to life? How about the GOA? How about the Texas gun rights organization? I mean, these are all uh, political action groups, right? They're concerned about these issues and they work for them. I mean, the folks that did the um, organizational work for uh, convention of states, I mean, they could probably use some help. I, I'm, I'm, I personally am a little ambivalent about that, but they could probably use your help. Why wouldn't you go invest in that? Or better yet. You know, there's an organization that builds homes for people. Habitat for Humanity. You could go do that. Last but not least. A good number of us rest on our faith. Our Christian beliefs. What are you doing at your church? Are you serving? Are you working with the youth? 
are you doing any of the outreach programs? I don't know. Are you, are you helping ladies that have cars that they need fixed? If that's something you're good at, are you doing cleanup or pickup? I don't know. Not everybody's going to do the same thing, but you could do something. I mean, even if you give five bucks a week to the church, the church will find something to do with it. They'll look out for somebody again. It's real, real easy to be critical and hammer on people that are actually doing things. Now, we don't have to like what they're doing, but they're actually doing things. We need to be doing the same thing. These are things we can, this is what's left. We can do better. We need to do better. We need to set aside whatever it is that's got us tied up, twisted in knots with disgust, for lack of better words, and look at what we can do. What's left is what we can do. Again, we can improve our own lives. We can improve the lives and the educations of our children and our grandchildren. We can improve our community, whether it's our church community, our local community, or the greater community around us. There are so many opportunities. I mean, look, I'm not a fan of government schools. Both my daughters went to government school, high school. When my younger daughter was in band, I was a band dad. I had a great time. I had good relationships with plenty of other band dads. I enjoyed going to oodles of football games. That, eh, Not so much whether or not I'm having a great time at those football games, but I'm there. I'm helping. I'm doing things with the kids, with the other dads. If you think that didn't matter to those other students... You think it didn't matter to the other dads there to see, hey, this guy's here. He's helping us out. He's doing this. I mean, this is the kind of stuff that we're talking about. That's what's left. All this other stuff that we could be involved in rather than sweating the load about this candidate got this percentage and, well, my life is over because my guy didn't win. No, it's not. Yes, it can be the most important election ever. Okay, fine. That's probably true. Yeah, you know, I'm not thrilled about Greg Abbott either. But on a scale of 1 to 50, he's probably in the top 10 of decent governors. Can we do better? Yeah. I mean, especially when the other 40 stink. But I'm not going to go home and lose sleep at night because I got stuck with another four years of Greg Abbott. Nor should you. Listen, what we have left is our own lives, our own families, and we need to do what's best for them. Sometimes that means you're politically active. Sometimes that means you're looking after your family first. And sometimes that means you do both at the same time. And if you want a really good example of that, you can look no further than Don Huffines. And this is not a commercial for the guy. But every time I see him, he's got one of his adult children with him, if not two or three, and his wife, and they're actively involved in doing what they think is best for the state of Texas. I'm sorry, but you don't have to like the guy, but you got to admire him. You got to look at that as a shining example of people that care about what's going on around them. The guy did well in life, and now he wants to do something more. That We should all be able to say that when we're 50, 60, 70 years old. Yeah, you know, I did all right in life. 
But I spent the last 10, 15, 20 years of my life doing this, this, and this to make my community, my life, my family better. I only hope that I'm in that position. And if, you know, by the time I'm 60, that I can basically throttle back and look after my grandkids, should I have any, and look after my nieces or nephews or what, or their grandkids, or just... I only hope that I can be in that such a role. And uh, I'm not there yet, but we keep working. We keep looking forward to it. And with that, my friends, I've gone exceedingly long, and I do appreciate y'all sticking around with me. This was Move In or Move On Monday, episode 184. I will see you on the other side.